0: He's involved in a number of businesses.
1: He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis.
2: This is John Katsimatidis. This is uh, Cats at Night. And we got one great show for you today. And TGIF, thank God, it's Friday. And uh, this is a TriCast, uh, AM 970, The Answer, WABC 770, and WLIR in the studio, we got Judge Richard Weinberg, and we have Richard Schwartz. Two Richards in a row. My God, Richard Schwartz used to uh, be an advisor to uh, to uh, uh, Mayor Giuliani, and uh, you were a deputy editor at the Daily News or something, weren't
1: you? The editorial page. Editor. Editorial
3: page.
2: My God,
1: yeah, Richard, Richard, is is one,
3: Richard is a one person think tank. <laughs> and uh, my He's sidekick trope.
2: Lydia. Ver- Lydia. So run I. Yes. And, uh, Lydia, we have a great show today. Tell us where we have.
0: We have a great show. We will be speaking, of course, it's Friday with Larry Kudlow. He's going to tell us what the heck is going on with the markets. We're going to speak a little tidbit from Judge Jeanine Pirro. We'll also speak with the L- General Mark Tracy Patrick Kimmett with the latest on Ukraine. And then Dr. Peter Miklos. And Governor Patterson has some breaking news for us. This you do not want to miss. Has Hochul seen the light? But first on the line, we have Ambassador John Bolton. H- Hello, Ambassador.
2: Hi, how are you? Glad to be with you. Uh, Ambassador, there's so many things happening. Uh, uh, You know, America wants to hear your voice and get an update of what the heck is going on. Uh, We even hear that uh, Putin has uh, talked to Erdogan and has made some proposals. And we hear that. uh, On the other hand, we hear Putin is moving uh, uh, some of his troops or some of his tanks from Moscow uh, down to the Ukraine. What, what, what do you what do you hear, Ambassador?
4: Well, there there is a lot going on, and you're right. The President Erdogan of Turkey has spoken again to uh, President Putin, and has offered to be an intermediary uh, of some kind between Russia and Ukraine. Now, Erdogan has has made this proposal before, neither side picked it up. But uh, obviously, uh, the the drones that Turkey Sold to Ukraine have been critical in the Ukrainian resistance to the Russian invasion. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Erdogan has bought the, the famous S-400 air defense system from Russia. And even though he's a NATO ally, uh, had grown uh, closer to Putin. Well, it's uh, interesting. I think a number of uh, people are vying to be the mediator here. I think Prime Minister Naftali Bennett of Israel uh, would be available. But this this is the latest uh effort by erdogan and and from what i can tell from the public reports uh, i think putin simply repeated his uh, basic conditions for what he wants from ukraine which i i don't think they're going to agree to and and i think there are probably other conditions that we don't know about but uh it uh it it shows that the effort at diplomacy is still alive i i don't think it's going to get very far but we'll see i think the other big development today is President Biden spoke to Xi Jinping in China uh, and warned him of unspecified consequences if China supported Russia. Well, China is already supporting Russia. uh, But what Xi Jinping gave him back, again, according to what they've said publicly, was uh, was a bunch of diplomatic bromides. Uh, We don't want the war, but we've got to be careful about sanctions. So he didn't really give Biden any any daylight one way or the other.
2: That that's good Chinese talk. They you know, they say that that for most of the time. Um, also on additional forces moving. Uh, there's uh, rumors around that that uh, Putin is moving some forces down from Moscow. Also sending in some naval forces to uh, was it near Odessa.
4: Yeah, the the uh the reports of uh, amphibious assault ships sailing past Japan probably coming from Vladivostok. I mean, that's a long way to go uh through the Indian Ocean up the Red Sea to the Suez Canal across the Mediterranean to the to the Black Sea. Uh but but leading people to think that uh, these are reinforcements that are that are they're looking for perhaps for uh, assaulting the, the the remaining territory on the Black Sea's north coast that they don't have near Odessa. We also hear about troops being recruited from Syria uh, to come and fight in uh, in Ukraine. And I tell you, they're, they're not going to take a week off to get a course in the Geneva Conventions either on their way in. This is going to be pretty brutal. But I think it's also true, uh, as you were saying, that other Russian forces are being moved toward Ukraine, despite building up 150,000 or so on the border before launching the invasion. Obviously, has not been enough. And Putin, I think, clearly is signaling he thinks he's got time before Western military aid to Ukraine can be deployed to put new troops, new resources in, and try and turn the tide of battle.
0: Ambassador Bolton, now, according to the BBC, that Vladimir Putin discussed his terms for ending the war in Ukraine with the Turkish president. Are any of those terms uh, feasible? Is it possible?
4: No, I think what they're still saying, both Ukraine and Russia are, are, you know, for public consumption, stating what their going in positions uh, are. And, uh, you know, that's that's often the case in international negotiations. The real question is in the private negotiations, are they making any progress? And uh, I'd have to uh, consider myself a skeptic on this. I think the Russian military has been so uh, embarrassed by its failure performance here that Putin cannot really give up much diplomatically. He's got to do something to restore the reputational damage done to the Russian military, I'm afraid, through some kind of military success, whatever we define that to be. And by the same token, for different reasons, the, the Ukrainians have put up such stiff resistance. What, what is Yeltsin really proposing to compromise away here? I think he's in a very difficult position himself. So you put those two together, I don't see in the near future, much coming from the diplomacy.
3: There's a ambassador. Richard Weinberg. There's, there are rumors that uh, Putin is demanding that he have face-to-face negotiations with the uh, Ukrainian president. What do you know about that?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting because Zelensky, uh, before the war started and a couple of times since then, it said, look, let's just sit down face-to-face and talk about this. What's Putin afraid of? And I, I don't think, honestly, Putin's afraid of very much. Uh, I'm not sure when you get the two leaders together like that, that it's more than a political ploy on either side. I don't think they'd move each other. I think this is a complicated, difficult question. And uh, the usual rule of diplomacy is you don't put your big guy on the line until you've got something pretty much worked out. You don't want to you don't you don't want to risk losing face or, or hurting their reputation. But. Look, this is an unprecedented situation. It, it may work out that way.
2: Ambassador, anything else you want to tell the American people?
4: Well, I'm afraid that uh, this is, we're, we're in for a grind here. And I think for anybody who cares about the, the terrible uh, harm being done to the Ukrainian people, think about giving to things like the Polish Red Cross and those who are dealing with the terrible refugee crisis, uh, uh, Samaritan's Purse, uh, Franklin Graham's organization. A lot of people doing very necessary work, and I I think the need is enormous over there.
2: Well, Ambassador Bolton, thank you so much for uh, your update to all the American people, and uh, uh, we hope there's a solution soon, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you.
4: Okay, John. Thanks for having me. Thank
2: you. Okay. uh, Let's get – well – I mean, that's a.
0: You know, every day you hear something new in in Ukraine, and you wonder what's true and and what's not. And there's reports that Putin fired eight generals, and
2: I don't know. Well, I, we have a general coming on later. Uh, we're going to ask him if he did fire four generals, or four got killed, or something. Mm, we we have to get find truth. out exactly what's what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, now we're calling uh, Governor Patterson, and uh, we have some breaking news that. Uh, he spoke to Governor Hochul last night. and uh,
0: um, Do we have Governor Patterson on the line yet? They're calling him right now. So yesterday, Governor Hochul had announced this 10-point plan. And Richard Schwartz, you know about it as well as you, Judge Weinberg, a 10-point plan that she's going to put into the budget about amending bail reform. Now, John, maybe you can explain why put it in the budget.
2: We're putting it in the budget because that way nobody can say I voted for it or against it. I voted for the budget. Whatever was in there was in there. And that's exactly how they I passed the first... I mean, that's the how, first... they, fool. That's how right. they fool the citizens of New York. That's that, how they got how the last governor. That's the first time, time Exactly right. First time around.
1: Breaking News, WABC.
0: Now we got Governor Patterson with that breaking news. We understand that you had a conversation last night with Governor Hochul. Tell us all about it. Or tell us what you can, Governor Patterson.
5: Well, I had a conversation with her. It was at an event for her. So Much of the conversation was heard by others, so I wouldn't call it really one-to-one, but I distinctly got the impression that she's been looking to address this issue for a while. She's just looking for the right time to do it. Obviously, the budget is being negotiated by herself and the two leaders, both of whom don't seem to want to talk about the subject much these days. So she seemed very comfortable with the uh, information coming out yesterday and Very comfortable with the fact that it would be in the budget. Now, when it passed in 2020, uh, just to correct the record, it passed before the budget passed. It was just a regular vote on the issue because there were overwhelming majorities in the Senate and Assembly, and they passed the bill reform bill we have, then signed by Governor Cuomo.
2: So, in other words, we do have the the list of the people uh, in 2020 that voted for the bill. Oh, absolutely, John. Oh, because we've been told by many of uh, state senators and state assembly people, oh, it was part of the budget bill. Well, we, we didn't vote for it. it. Well, John, if you remember, you interviewed me
5: in February of 2020. That was six weeks before the budget passed. And that bill was already law. It had already been signed. So I think it's just that people start equivocating, and when they're in a process that other people don't know that much about, they'll tell you anything, but I'm telling you that it's on the record who voted for it and who didn't.
2: Well, me and you always tell the truth. Let's do the research. Let's get a uh, – uh, I can't say that, that word. Let's get an S-list. <laughs> an S-list? Then we called it – A suspect. A suspect list. A S list. Then we called it a blacklist, and we said – How can we call it a blacklist? Does blacklist mean mean bad? (laughs) We haven't figured that out yet, Governor Patterson.
5: I I mean, it was two years ago. It was before COVID. Perhaps I'm wrong. Maybe that's when they put it in the budget at that time, and everyone knew it was going to go through, but I distinctly seem to remember.
2: Well, we're going to do the research, and maybe by Monday we'll find out the truth. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was in the
0: 2019 budget. The bottom, line, yeah. the bottom
1: line is, Richard Schwartz, the bottom line is nobody knew about it until it was passed. Yeah,
2: that's why I thought nobody knew there about no it, they just shoved it through, right. and well, another <laughs> oh. to take cover, they put it into the budget bill. That's what I was told.
5: And the first yeah. time. I was one of them, because when you mentioned it to me on your Sunday morning that's show, right. I didn't really know that much about it at the time. And it's about the only time I've ever been interviewed by anyone when I'm like... Holy wow! How did I miss this? <laughs> but uh, this is a serious
2: issue, and, and this was the most I serious. This was the most serious thing they passed in in the last two three years.
0: So, Governor Patterson, you said you got the distinct impression that she'd been wanting to do this for so long. Why did you get that impression?
2: I
5: got the impression because her whole demeanor was that of relief. Mm. That, in other words, now. Uh, You know, she's kind of at peace with herself. Remember, the Kathy Hochul, who served in Congress, uh, would never have voted for that bill. And obviously she can't be the Kathy Hochul from a Buffalo congressional seat and win a New York state gubernatorial race. However, um, there are ways to pick your spots, and timing is everything. And right now there hasn't been significant objection to it, so whatever she did— to get folks to calm down up there, I think that's really quite an. Well, I,
2: I think it's your influence, the judge's influence, my influence that we're out there yelling. Take your choice: keeping keep two point eight eight point five million New Yorkers safe, or worry about three thousand violent criminals. I mean,
5: yeah, and this is consistent with how she's been on on other issues, but you know, sometimes you you get put in a position where you're. I'm not able to fight back. You don't have the resources at the time. But I will say probably some of the information that's come out about Lee Zeldin's candidacy in the general election and even before that, the possibility of Andrew Cuomo running for governor and challenging her um, actually opens the door for her to go where her heart probably was all along.
1: Governor, did she give any indication of where the legislature is on this issue? Is she confident that she can get it through?
5: Uh, she didn't really talk about that. Um, and the question that you all resolved before I even came on, which is what part of the budget bill would it be? And I would suggest it would be in a bill where everyone gets something out of it and everyone hates other parts of it. And that's what they call negotiation. It's also what they call the big ugly.
2: Governor Patterson, thank you uh, for calling in. I heard you're under the weather a little bit. Well, Get better and have a great weekend.
5: Okay. Well, uh, listening to the show is making me feel better already. All right, Aww, thank you.
2: We miss uh, you. Let's do this. Uh, uh, let's do this. I uh, talked to Janine Pirro before, and we have a little bit. We're going to be uh, talking to her more on the weekend, on Sunday. But we have a little tidbit from my discussion before with uh, Judge Janine Pirro. Let's play that uh, that conversation. Judge, I understand the New York Times has reversed itself, and they admit that that laptop did belong to uh, uh, Hunter Biden? Yes, the New York Times actually reversed themselves. And
6: isn't it amazing? They reversed themselves, what is it, 14 months after it came out. There was no reason to believe that this laptop was anything other than legitimate. And the shame of all of this is that the New York Times was able to uh, it, that it took them 14 months and that they were excoriating everyone who talked about the possibility of it being real. It was Russian disinformation, which is an agenda that they've been that they've been arguing and an argument that they throw at the wall every time we come up with something that we think is true if it doesn't match their agenda or the 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 the, 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 the ideas of the Democrat Party, then it's Russian disinformation. Well sometimes it's just the damn truth. And they don't want to admit it. And certainly before an election, they couldn't admit that the president's son was engaged in all kinds of activities that certainly appear to be criminal. And, uh, you know, now there's talk that Hunter Biden may be indicted for tax evasion. Are you kidding me with all the stuff on that laptop? Tax evasion? Is that the way to, you know, to, to appease the crowd? I think it's outrageous and I
2: think it's a sad commentary on what's going on. The other thing, the other thing that is now coming out, that that document that came out two weeks before uh, the election in November of, uh, what is it, yep. 2020 now, right? 2020? I lose track right. of my time. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that the fact is that Leon Panetta signed it, the two CIA directors signed it, 50 signatures. Of the, uh, that, that, uh, Trump was associated with Putin, it, it turns out now that document is, is, is a very bad document, and everybody's starting to realize that it, that it's a bad document. Now, uh, these people that signed that document, are they more loyal to to, to the United States of America or more loyal to uh, uh, the to, uh, Democrat Party?
6: Well, you know, I, I think that this is a very easy question to answer, and they're more loyal to the Democrat Party. There was no reason to believe that that laptop was a product of Russian disinformation. There was no reason to believe that it was anything more than legitimate. There was no reason to believe or no iota of evidence uh, that would have caused these individuals – there are more than 50 former intelligence individuals – to, you know, say that this sounds like Russian disinformation. And, you know, it was all about an agenda to destroy Donald Trump, to destroy Rudy Giuliani. I mean, you look at look at the players. You got Leon Panetta, who signed the letter saying this is Russian disinformation. It looks like it. He worked. He he worked for Obama. And I remember he's a CIA director. Yes. Yes. And I and John Brennan signed it also. Another CIA director. Exactly. And so they're the intelligence. They're, they're not intelligent, and I'm not even using it in the word that agency intends, but they're just not intelligent, okay? And I will never forget when we had Benghazi, how many years ago, when Obama was running for the second time in 2012, and Leon Panetta said, oh, we couldn't have gotten those, uh, those planes there from northern Africa to Benghazi in Libya. Are you kidding? From southern Italy, I mean, to northern Africa. I mean, uh, it, what are they? Uh, they riding on camels? No, you can fly from southern Italy to northern Africa in in a short amount of time. Leon Panetta. When I heard him say that, I said, "This guy's a political operative." I'm disgusted. And then he starts talking about with 50 people saying that, uh, you know, all of of this Hunter Biden stuff that makes Joe Biden look bad, that makes it look like Joe Biden is sending his son out to collect money from around the world so that they can live a high life, that makes Joe Biden look like he's covering for his son, that makes Joe Biden look bad and possibly will prevent Joe Biden from becoming the president of the United States. We have to stop this because we need Joe Biden and we hate Donald Trump.
2: Well, wow! Yeah, and we're going to have the rest of that interview on Sunday morning on the Catch Roundtable at uh, between nine o'clock and ten o'clock, and that's a, a real wow that fifty intelligence officers and high-ranking officials, heads of the CIA, would sign a document, and the FBI had already established there was all BS. I'm not going to say the T word, but I'm going to don't s- say it. I'm not going to say
0: it.
3: <laughs>
2: okay. But, uh, how, about the, how about the C word? How about a conspiracy to change the game? Mm. All right, let's do this. Um, Larry Kudlow. Let's, ta- let's take a break, and we're going to come back and find out how the heck the economy is doing and, and where are we with Larry Kudlow, the best economist in the country. Now let's take that break.
1: A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis in Cats at Night on 77 WABC.
2: Well, we're back. And uh, next we have uh, one of the country's uh, best and leading economists that uh, we have with us, Larry Kudlow. How are you, Larry? I'm great, John. How are you? Good. I'm trying to find out. This is the end of the week again. We talk every every Friday and, and the world goes up, the world goes down. Where the heck are we?
7: Yeah, that's a heck of a good question. Actually, that. You always ask me that question, and with the passage of each week, the question becomes more and more important. Um, Look, let me just say a couple things. A very good week for stocks, but probably because the Federal Reserve did nothing but rhetoric in its meeting on Wednesday, the so-called tightening, one quarter of one percentage point. Uh, They're still buying bonds. They're still printing money. They're still reluctant to take aggressive actions like 50 basis points or 100 basis points. And I just noticed the stock market rallied on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, Jim Bullard of the St. Louis Fed and Chris Waller on the board are both crying out for more aggressive policies. Look at the inflation numbers uh, for the month of February, right? TPI up 8%. PPI up 10 percent, import prices up 11 percent, and the Fed raised rates by one quarter of one percent. Utterly futile. And by the way, they're still buying bonds. In fact, they're still buying mortgage bonds, even though home prices are through the roof. So I'll stop there. That's one point.
2: And and what's happening? A or, or. Home prices gonna stay about the same, or with the rising prices of uh, of a mortgage, mortgage is over four percent already. Will the price of the homes drop?
7: Yeah, well, the mortgage is over four, and the inflation rate is about ten, so it's still cheap money. It's uh, you know, real a real mortgage rate is minus six percentage points. So there's no reason why mortgage, why home prices aren't going to. Con- Continue. The Fed is not taking the punch bowl away. Look, some other stuff. Retail sales came out; they're booming. They're booming. They're up eighteen percent over the past twelve months. Well, that's
2: uh, but that includes inflation.
7: Yeah, well, back and, and back. don't
2: forget, I, I told all. Uh, I told Steve Moore. I told uh, uh, Steve Forbes. Food prices over the next forty-five to sixty days, twelve to twenty uh, percent increases, in addition to where we are now. And i I advise them that they have to buy their Oreo cookies mm. because where can you get a better investment than twelve to twenty percent over the next twenty days uh, over the next forty days fifty days
7: yeah well uh inflation is moving towards ten percent. I prefer wheat thins myself <laughs> <laughs> particularly the the low the low calorie wheat thins, Lydia um, look. Uh, So retail sales up 18 percent, about half inflation, half real. Industrial production, by the way, manufacturing was up very strong. It's about 7 percent year on year. Uh, But inflation is roaring. Uh, So companies are still profitable and the Fed's not taking away the punch bowl. And as far as the, you know, that's going to be a story for a while. Um, I wouldn't bet the ranch on it because I think we're going to go into a stagflation period. And then we're going to go into recession. But the recession is not this year. The recession is not going to be this year.
2: I agree. And uh, now the, the, the next big question is, I know what the Fed said, but you know the Fed has been partially politicized. So are they going to raise rates after the election or before the election? And, and be, if it's before the election, maybe it's going to be small, minuscule amounts. Well, I think I don't think midterms
7: mean that much to the Fed. Um you know, we got well, rid you, you're of you are talking
2: baby. history. I'm talking this year.
7: Yeah, well, history sometimes informs the yeah. president. Look, we got rid of we got rid of Sarah Bloom Raskin. We knocked her out. She you did a great possible. job.
2: You you so, led the pack. You were mm-hmm. the leader of the pack.
7: Well, I I'm had to tell to me. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. had some help from Joe Manchin. But we got rid of her, so that's good. Um, The others are going to get through. I don't know. One of them wants slavery reparations. Uh, You know, it's a weak Fed. There's no Paul Volcker in sight. Let's face it. But I do think in answer to your question that the actual inflation numbers, which are going to get worse uh, rather than easier, will force them into a much more aggressive posture, much more. And you're already seeing dissent developing uh, from the St. Louis Bank. And I think Buller's protege, uh, Waller, Chris Waller and the board, there'll be more of those coming. So they're going to have election or not, they're going to have to take a much uh, more aggressive uh, position. And then, look, John, the other news is uh, Biden talked to she today. Nobody knows what they said. I mean, nobody knows what they said. It's a very bizarre story. And Biden is saying, you know, you better not help Russia with any additional financing or materials help. And if you do help them, there'll be severe consequences. But there's no red line in the sand. So to me, that's just meaningless rhetoric. I don't know what China is going to do, but I doubt very much whether they're going to run up against Putin. And the worst story this week, the single worst story is the continued reports that we are very close, U.S., to a new nuclear deal with Iran. This is utter insanity. This is the worst thing I have ever seen. Iran, which hates America, which hates Israel, our staunchest ally, which hates Saudi Arabia, which is an ally. And in this deal, we're going to give a $10 billion carve-out to Russia in order to build a nuclear facility of some kind in Iran. So while we're sanctioning Russia over Ukraine. We're going to give them $10
2: billion?
7: $10 billion carve out. So there are no sanctions for this Russian construction of an Iranian nuclear plant, whether it's for peaceful uses or nuclear uses. You can bet it's going to be for nuclear war uses because it's Iran and they lie. But how in the world? Do you make a deal with America's biggest enemy, with Israel's biggest enemy, and give Russia $10 billion? But why, I mean, Larry Kudlow? That, 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 that
2: is mind-boggling. Why? It is mind-boggling. Why
7: you have to go and scratch, you know, ask Joe Biden, ask John Kerry, ask Anthony Blinken. This is counter to America's interests, counter to our security interests counter to our energy and wait a second it gets even better we will as part of this deal declassify the revolutionary guard these are the thugs and killers that finance hamas and hezbollah and they themselves kill people uh, in the middle east they kill uh, israelis routinely iraqis and so forth we're going to take their terrorist classification away Oh my God. So they're not going to be terrorists anymore so given $10 billion to Russia, remove the terrorist classification from the Revolutionary Guard, and reward Iran that wants death to America and death to Israel. And it is the, most, the worst foreign policy story I've ever heard. Honestly, Larry
2: Kudlow, you have floored me. I cannot believe all this stuff. Uh, I mean, at what point did the American people realize that— That Joe Biden is crossing the line.
7: I think that, you know, because it's being done in the midst of the Ukrainian war and it's being done supposedly uh, quietly away from public view. Look, I recommend uh, uh, Lydia get John on the website of the New York Sun is the article that I wrote. And it's also on on Fox Business and Fox News websites as well. This is an incredible blunder by the United States, by Biden and Kerry and that gang. It is utterly insane. It'll be the worst foreign policy decision, I don't know, in the last hundred years. That
0: is unbelievable. What can we do, Larry Kudlow, to make sure this doesn't happen? Just like you led the charge with Kill the Bill, with Raskin, now you're leading the charge with this. How can we here at WABC help not let this happen?
7: You all need to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow morning. Um, you and John, you need to talk
2: about it. We're, we're going to have is on every Saturday morning from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock on wabcradio.com worldwide. And in, in the local areas, 770 on the AM dial. This needs to be a treaty.
3: They're modifying the pre-existing deal. This needs to be a yes. treaty. It needs to go That's before correct. the
1: Senate. That's it also feels it. like Barack Obama might have some role in this, too.
7: What's the well, end game gonna here? Wh- to, Why? They're going to try to bypass. They're going to try to bypass the Senate. But that's just 49 Republicans already have a resolution. This must not be. This should go through the advice and consent of the Senate. And again, on the radio, kids, you got to talk about it and educate people. So they'll get up in arms. Over we them. will
2: do it. Do your research. Uh, get the, uh, the gonna, Sun gonna, newspaper. I'm, yeah, I'm going to get Larry Kudlow's we'll article. Discuss it again uh, over the weekend on Monday.
7: Absolutely. Larry right.
2: Kudlow, thank you for everything Thanks. you do. God bless you. And Thanks. I'll be listening tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock.
7: Thanks, John. Thank Bye. you.
2: Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we have a new military expert that's going to give us some revelations. John Ketson
0: welcome back to the John Katz cats at night show we're all still reeling from that news from Larry Kudlow about the Iran deal and now we have on the line for us a general Mark Tracy Patrick Kimmet he is a former assistant secretary of State for political military Affairs serving under George Walker Bush uh, welcome General Kimmet
2: hey how are you well we're trying to find out what the heck uh, uh, Putin is up to he's moving his military uh, from Moscow to down for reinforcements, and I guess he's leaving Moscow bare? If somebody wants to attack Moscow, Putin has less
3: uh, less oh, he's, moving and he's, and moving he's moving his palace guard. And he's
2: uh, moving some of his naval forces. Tell, tell tell the American people what the heck is going on.
8: Well, first of all, I, I think that uh, Putin has a hell of a lot more forces than uh, just the ones coming down from Moscow. He's got the Far Eastern Command. He's got a pretty robust military. How, how much,
2: uh, uh, General... Nobody's ever asked us, how much is his general, his whole military, how many people, and how many are concentrated on on, uh, Ukraine right now?
8: Well, first of all, I think he's going to keep that number pretty quiet. But when you start talking about his active duty, his reserves, the ones he can call up, uh, he's probably got about a million, million and a half. But most of them are conscripts, much like our post-Vietnam War. Uh, military. It's it's they do have some professionals in there. They've got some very good units, but I think we're seeing proof of the pudding down in Ukraine right now.
0: Uh, General Kimmett, it seems like uh, the troops have stopped their advances on the major cities. Why has the Russian army stalled?
8: Yeah, I, I think that people may have this story a little bit off. Look, it's it's becoming clear that his plan was to do as he did in Crimea. Basically, attack from Belarus, get down to Kiev as quickly as possible, overturn the government and call it a day. Uh, he ran into the Ukrainian forces, which we have equipped, NATO has equipped, and the Ukrainian forces are putting on a pretty good fight. So his blitzkrieg didn't work, so he's going back to the old bulldozer meat grinder techniques that the Russian army has used in the past, which is siege warfare. You're seeing it at Mariupol. You're seeing at Kharkiv. Uh, to some extent, you're seeing it at Lviv. But I think the big enchilada is he is setting up a, eventually a siege of Kiev. They, they, they are slow because they're slowly and methodically encircling these cities, starting to shell them.
0: And hoping that they'll, they'll give up?
8: Uh, that's that's certainly his endgame. The, the tactic is simple, and it's brutal. For a siege, you surround them, you shell them, you starve them, and if they don't surrender, then you send your troops in. And that's what we've seen so far, and I think we're going to see that uh, attempted in Kiev. Uh,
2: General, um, uh, your opinion— uh, are they really knocking down those buildings? Are they really shooting buildings with, with mark that are marked with children in them and and everything? Or is that fake news on both sides?
8: Uh, no, I think there's some pretty pretty convincing evidence uh, that's coming out of there that that they are. Again, whether it's accidental, incidental, or intentional, it doesn't matter. Uh, I spent 30 years in the military and. We don't do that, and we set our tactical plans with specific restrictions in our plans that we won't come anywhere near uh, civilians, protected sites. We made mistakes a couple of times, but what I'm looking at with the Russians is this is just indiscriminate bombing with the purpose of creating terror inside that city. Trying to get that city to capitulate, and to me, it's remarkable that no city of major size has capitulated or surrendered yet.
0: General Kimmet, my mom, she is not the most, um, you know, she doesn't have this high education. Every day I speak to my mother, she says to me, "When's it going to be over? When's the war going to be over? Is it going to be weeks? Is it, is it going to be months? Do you have any idea?" Because seeing those images of the, the the pregnant woman on the stretcher and bleeding and then we find out she died and all these things. It's just it's horrifying. When when could this possibly be over? Is there hope for diplomacy? Uh,
8: let's hope there's hope for diplomacy. I haven't seen uh, any hope yet. Look, it's a, it's an axiom of war that you don't negotiate when you're winning. And in the case of the Russians right now, they believe they're winning. And unfortunately, the historical record for sieges is it's going to take a long time. If you take a look at the Russian experience, two years in Leningrad, nine months in Stalingrad. Um, Grozny was a long, ugly siege, and the Russians are still assisting Bashar al-Assad in Aleppo after a couple of years. Uh, and, and it is important to put this in context. Kiev is the seventh largest city in Europe. You can put Chicago, Washington D.C., and Manhattan Island inside the city limits and there will still be extra space left over. It will be the largest urban combat in history and if unless the city capitulates, negotiations work. Uh, it's going to be bloody, and it's going to take a long, long time.
1: General, this is Richard Schwartz. What is going on with um, Putin's inner circle? Is there a a, a loss of morale? Is he losing the allegiance of some of his key people? What are you hearing?
8: I I, I am not a mind reader. I will leave that up to the intelligence experts that that we certainly hope are using every technical and, and physical tool they have at their disposal to figure that out. We have not – in in public domain, I've seen no indications that anybody is flinching.
0: So there's a report out of Military.com. And they're claiming that Putin has already put to death four of his generals. There was
2: another report. No, that, they didn't say put to death. Yeah, they they said they died.
0: No, they said that Putin killed them because he called them traitors and eight – and then, of course, there's is other military.
2: reports. legitimate Well,
0: that's what I'm, I am I want to ask the general. has Have you heard anything like this? And then there's other reports that eight generals were being detained – by Putin accused of being traitors uh, uh,
8: I, I guess I haven't caught up on my reading. Military.com is a legitimate um, organization they to my memory they also own Stars and Stripes so people read it as a legitimate uh, uh, newspaper and, and that re- yeah, The way yeah, I heard but... the
2: original story is that the four generals that died were, were that died uh, under the U- Ukrainian shot them.
8: Well, I'm 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 always for getting enemy generals killed on the battlefield. That's that's that makes a good day for me. I heard the same thing. Yes, Uh, it indicates it indicates to me that these guys are watching their operations and their operations are not going well because they got conscripts up front. That way, you've got to get the the generals down there to kind of inflict a little bit of discipline down there to get it going. Out.
0: Yes, you're right. They were killed in action.
2: they're stuck in sludge, and they're stuck uh, – those tanks are stuck, and they can't move, and I guess the – but why would the generals go down with all the stars are showing?
8: With all what showing?
2: Their stars. You know, being that you're a general, I'd go there looking like a PFC.
8: Well, but – you wouldn't you wouldn't cause anybody to get up and do their job if a PFC showed up. I yeah. think they're down there to instill discipline. Look, what, what I heard on that, and I think it's pretty reliable, is that they've got very insecure comms. We were listening, and the Ukrainians have devices to listen into foreign communications. And uh, we have provided the Ukrainians with very, very good sniper capabilities. And, uh, you know, I'd say four snipers probably earned their pay that day.
2: Wow. Yep. What else, what else would you like? We got about a minute left. Uh, What else would you like to tell the American people?
8: Well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. If diplomacy doesn't work, um, I have been quite um, happily surprised that the Russians are not using as much artillery rockets and missiles as I would expect in true siege warfare. Uh, If you take a look at the historical record of of places like Mosul most recently, they crater the cities in this kind of warfare. It is nasty, brutish, and long, Um, and there are going to be a lot of people killed if the Ukrainians decide to fight, but we're equipping them well. And uh, you give them good equipment, they've got motivation. I wouldn't want to be a Russian soldier on that battlefield.
0: And, General Kimit, you were right. There was a four generals that were killed in action, according to Military.com. One last question I wanted to ask you. Chemical warfare, is there a possibility that Putin could do something like that?
8: Yes. Uh, I don't. They don't see a, a fire break between conventional and unconventional war the way we do, Uh they worked alongside Bashar al-Assad as he used it in Syria. Um, that's probably something that they would reserve for the street fighting that would go on to flush some of the some of the Ukrainian troops out of their spider holes. But uh, it would not. It, let me let me simply put it this way: everything that we thought Putin wouldn't do, he has done. So we should expect him to continue to violate every norm of. Uh, battlefield in the 21st century a battle in the 21st century
2: well john thank you so much uh, for your military service and everything you've done in the military and continue to speak out for america and uh, god bless you and god bless america
8: and i do all the work well, not me
2: yes uh and uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with dr peter Michalos on some new revelations. he said there
0: could be another wave Come in here,
2: uh, not on Friday afternoon, please. I can't oh, take any bad news oh. Friday afternoon. We'll be back with Dr.
1: Mikolos. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC.
0: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Right now, we have our resident medical genius, Dr. Peter Mikolos. And Dr. Mikolos, it's what's the latest? Uh, we could be seeing, what, another wave of... oh no, sub-
2: no more bad news. Oh, oh, but
0: tell just us. The well, frax, Friday, just and the facts. Just
9: the We've got a little bit of COVID fatigue and a little COVID burnout. And uh, unfortunately, in the last two years, a lot of times our predictions have been uh, quite accurate. And uh, we do communicate here at WABC with doctors from around the world. And uh, what's happening in Europe usually starts affecting us 30 to 45 days later. So there is a new variant called the BA.2 variant, which is an Omicron and this sub-variant of Omicron that is appearing throughout Europe, uh, a record number of cases in Austria right now as we speak, higher than during the peak of the pandemic. And Hong Kong is now uh, breaking uh, records for number of uh, deaths as we speak. So it is still happening. It's not over Yes, We're all burnt out from hearing about COVID and mask burnout but the reality is that uh it's not over. Yes, in the United States, we're lucky so 65% are fully vaccinated, 76% are partially vaccinated. Yes, if you're vaccinated, 90% less chance you're going to end up on a ventilator. That's the great news, but the reality is in the last 7 days, we still have 1005 deaths averaging a day. That's every 3 days the amount of people we lost on 9/11. So yes, we want to just this thing to be over. But we do have to be prepared. I still tell people to try to still be careful on public transportation on airplane. I'd still try to, you know, protect myself, especially if you're vulnerable or susceptible. This new one is presenting with fever, headaches, and muscle aches, and uh, dizziness and fatigue. So it is out there. The good news is. Is it much different
2: than the Omicron that uh, we've had here in New York?
9: Well, the problem is that it's brand new, so we don't really know what it's going to do. The interesting thing is the thing we talked about in WABC before is these long-haul COVID cases that even if you have mild case of COVID, people are ending up with these long-haul COVID cases of brain fog, fatigue, increased heart rate. And, uh, so it's, and even some of the centers in New York, at Stony Brook and Mount Sinai, they've opened up post COVID centers to start treating people for long haul COVID. What we do need is a new variant specific vaccines. The problem is all these vaccines and they're telling us to take boosters, they're all for the original Alpha Wuhan variant. This is different. This is something new. And that's why Albert Bourla correctly said that they're trying to make a vaccine that will last for at least a year and it'll be variant specific to target the Omicron, the Delta, and other potential variants, and they need to accelerate that. And the other thing is also uh, we've been very slow in getting out the uh, antiviral pills to the pharmacies so that when people get diagnosed, they should be able right there on the spot at these testing centers to either uh, get their pills right away if they're not super high risk, and if they are, higher risk, over 65, or obese, diabetic, or, or immune compromised, they can stick their arm out right there on the spot and get an infusion of that GSK, uh, Smith Klein antibody that seems to be working very well against Omicron. And, uh, you know, the reality is we have a million people dead in the United States, 6 million worldwide, and 1.7 million doctor, dead doctor, in the so
1: Doctor, it's, it's Richard Schwartz. Oh, oh, go best ahead. Best. I just want to ask Dr. um is there a chance that we're going to go into a, the lockdown phase in the forget coming about months?
2: about I mean, you, 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 you no, give me okay. bad news on a Friday, Richard no. <laughs> <No. Well, laughs>
1: Schwartz. Forget worry. about it.
0: That's why I wanted <laughs> to change the topic. When it comes to sleep, no, it's, it's not- actually quality over quantity. That's a new study. So some people are actually gifted with genes, and I think this guy has them, that pack the benefits of slumber into an efficient time window, keeping them peppy and very with it, even just on four or six hours, and then you have other people that can't function on even eight hours of sleep. So is it sleep. is it quality over quantity when it comes to sleep, and it could also be dependent on your genes?
9: Yes, yeah, sleep hygiene is very important. It turns out that during sleep and when our stomachs are not that full, that's when our bodies go into full repair mechanism, and our immune system functions a lot better, and it's a lot better uh, prepared and uh again I didn't mean to uh bring uh, bad news I just want people just to be no, continue to be facts. aware and uh the facts are there and just if you get sick we want our audience to be well just don't wait around get treatment there's treatment available now New York has it all the ERs have the IV antibodies we're just telling our audience if you get those symptoms get tested and get treated that's all and you'll do very well it's not the same death sentence it was in the beginning but it's just not over yet, and we just have to still be a little bit uh, careful. That's all I'm, doctor, I'm trying to say. And this Sunday, we're going to have exciting news. We're going to talk about CRISPR gene editing, the possibility to cure sickle cell disease and other genetic diseases. And we're going to have a great show on Sunday talking about these amazing new advances in health care.
2: In, in addition, doctor, uh, we talked about some side effects. And I understand you, you saw some, uh, some scientific uh, studies uh, that it also affects the eyes.
9: Yeah, there are uh, COVID cases, that, uh, cases affecting the eyes with retinal hemorrhages and something called macular edema, and even post-vaccine, some people are having some uh, reactions, So, but the majority of people are not, but there is that percentage that are having some issues, and as uh, the year goes on, we're going to be learning a lot and putting all this together, and that's why I'm looking forward to these better... Uh, variant-specific vaccines, and uh, hopefully we're not going to be getting boosted to death and we'll have a vaccine that will give us long-lasting immunity like the old, good old-fashioned measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines.
3: Doctor, let me ask you a question. You mentioned earlier about the long-haul COVID symptoms. What kind of treatment modalities do they have?
9: Right now, there are some of the people because they think it's an autoimmune response attacking the virus and then it attacks our own bodies and our nerve endings. They're giving things like short-term steroids as a pulse and some people are getting better with that. They give something called glutathione because they found low glutathione levels. They're encouraging people to take vitamin D because people with levels below 30 are not doing as well. People with higher vitamin D levels seem to be faring better. There's another polyphenol compound called quercetin that's made from plants that they're telling people to take and it appears to have antiviral effects as well and uh, those are some of the the treatment Dr. modalities that are currently Dr. used. Dr. Peter
2: we're out of time thank you so much for uh, bringing all uh, all Americans up to date and uh, god bless you and we'll talk to you on Sunday uh, Doctor Dr. Judge Weinberg thank you and uh, uh Dr. Schwartz? We need a, we, Dr. Schwartz, we need a title for you. Yeah, yeah, Richard yeah, Schwartz. advisor. Uh, Thank you. you know, and uh, Lydia Serrani, and God bless uh, New York. God bless America. And God bless the people of the Ukraine, and we hope they, uh, there's peace coming. Have a great weekend.